Father, is our heart's cry that we be found faithful. We live lives that honor you, show our delight and joy in you, and that we can pass on to others. We love you and thank you for your grace. Speak to us now by your word, we pray. In Jesus' name. Well, despite the Zika virus, a cheating scandal, all kinds of social and economic issues, it appears in just a few weeks the 2016 Summer Olympics in uh, Rio will actually get started. And as always, one of the premier events in the Olympics, the last event of track and field competition, will be the 4x400 four yard relay. Uh, and so you know how that works. The team with the four fastest runners from each country, and they get together, and each one runs one cycle around uh, the track. Now, speed's crucial uh, because uh, the idea is to win the fastest in the race. But uh, as they've they got to do that, they have to successfully pass the baton from one person next. So the same baton the first runner begins with has to be the baton the last runner crosses the finish line still holding. But there's one more challenge. Uh, that baton can only be passed on the race within a certain area called the passing zone. It's about 20 uh, yards or 20 meters or so long, 66 uh, feet or so. It's not very long. It's a couple of steps, a couple of strides. There's a limited time that they can do that. So if you pass it before that box or after that box, you're disqualified. So you got to get the baton there. So think about all the things that the runners have to think about. Their speed, their pace, their, their form, their opponents, the baton, the pass, and the, the passing zone. The whole team wins. They they medal. They get to stand on the stand, hear their, their, uh, hear their, uh, their anthem played, only if that uh, gets all the way there and it is passed. Now, in this, uh, in this race, actually, the United States comes back and wins this on the very last lap. It's pretty fun to see. Uh, but now, you and I may never, ever win an Olympic relay race. But for, for Christ followers, the Bible pictures our life as a race. Here's what the Scripture says. It says in Hebrews uh, chapter 12, it says, Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and run with endurance the race that is set before us. Run that you may obtain the prize. Now, now, our race of faith is more like a marathon than, than a sprint. But our faith life is, is, uh, is not just individual. It is a relay race. We're part of a, a team called the Church of Jesus Christ, and we're called to pass the baton of faith from one person to another, pass the baton of faith to others. Now, in the past several weeks, we've been looking at our articles of faith, and what we've basically been doing is we've been exploring and examining the baton. We've been looking at what our faith is. So we look at the character of God, the nature of Christ, we look at the, the call of the church, the mission that we had to live that out, and we look at the baton itself. But here's the idea. Those truths are, are unchanging, but they're not static. They're unchanging. They're meant to change our identity, our behaviors, our character, but they're meant to be, be passed away, passed on, to give given away to others. Now, how, how do we do that? Well, you train for it. I mean, nobody shows up at the Olympics and runs uh, just on race day. There's some training that's going before they ever get there. It's still happening. And so, in the same way, there is a, a training that goes along with it. And, and part of that training plan the Lord has given uh, as designed for us, we call family discipleship. Now, we believe so strongly in this, and we have designed this as one of our 
core values, to the shared convictions that we share as a church. There are six of these. I think of core values. Here they are. The biblical authority, life transformation, family discipleship, caring relationships, global missions, and audacious faith. And right in the middle of them, family discipleship. And the kind of subtitle of that is passing the faith to the next generation. And that value is worked out through all of what we call our next generation ministries. That's our preschool ministry, our children's ministry, our middle school and high school ministries. And there's an initiative of that in, in the area of family discipleship. And here's how we describe that. Living Hope's family discipleship uh, ministry is an initiative by which our church family and next generation discipleship ministries will partner with parents to affirm and equip them to leverage ordinary family life, to enjoy God, apply the gospel, make disciples, and build a legacy of faith in their children so that together we will pass gospel faith to the next generation. Now, I'll leave that there for a second, guys. I want you to see something here as well. It's very intentional. It, it connects church and home together. It's affirming the role of parents. But, but now as we, we're going to explore this, this one, this idea of family discipleship. But as we do this, I, I want to give a little kind of a warning here. Because the tendency, I think, sometimes is if you're single or if you're an empty nester or if you're senior, to say, oh, that doesn't apply to me. I can check out now. I'm done. But I want to point something out. It's an initiative by which our church family and our Next Generation Discipleship Ministries will partner with parents. Church family, Next Generation Discipleship Ministries, parents. All three are necessary because, understand, we're a family, right? We are a faith family. So these people we're passing, the next generation we're passing the faith to, and you may not know those children, those young people. You may not know their names or what families they belong to, but they're, they're still ours. And this is essential for all of us to see our role. We're going to flesh it out in a little while. But one of the things we know right off the bat, there's a race to run. There's a, there's a team to help. There's a baton to pass. We want to kind of dig into that. One of the core passages for family discipleship is in Deuteronomy 6. You go ahead and turn there to copy of God's Word to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Uh, here the people of God are getting ready to pass into the promised land. And Moses, he's been leading them for years and years and reminding them again of God's laws, their identity, who they are, what they're supposed to do. As they move into a land that's full of people that don't share that same reality or same truth about God. And this key passage becomes a touchstone for all of God's people for all time. So in Deuteronomy chapter 6, you stand in honor of the reading of God's word. Megan Gillen, one of our recent high school graduates, is going to come and read for us. Deuteronomy chapter we're going to begin in verse 4. Let's hear these very familiar words. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gate. You may be seated. So Moses reiterates this law, these commandments, but, but notice that at the base commitment he's making, this faith is to be preserved and promoted and passed on through the family. Now, how does that has that happened? Well, families pass on the gospel faith, first of all, when they make disciples by the gospel. Those first few words there in verses 4 and 5 are what we call the Shema. 
the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The love the Lord your God. We sang it at the beginning. The Shema. Now, for a Jewish child, as soon as they learned their first word, maybe it was Abba, Daddy, the next thing they would begin to learn almost as soon would be the Shema. Because this was their article of faith. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. There's not many gods, there's one. And here's our mission. We're going to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now, when they asked Jesus later on, what's the most important in all the law, this was the verse he pointed to. And then when Jesus began to define what his people were going to do, Jesus said, you're going to love the Lord like your God like that, but as you engage with your own culture and your own time where people don't know and follow this God, here's what you're going to do. Here's what Jesus said, what the mission was. He said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. So when you look at that, look at that, you see we call that what? The what? It's the Great Commission, right? Jesus said, this is what I want my church to do. Now, we've uh, kind of shorthanded that. Living Hope, here's how we phrase that in our mission. Our mission of Living Hope is this. We are leading more people that anchor their life and their hope in Jesus. Now, when Jesus said this, he said, you go and make disciples. That's imperative language. It's a command. And it's not just for preachers. It's for everybody. And it's not just on Sundays, but it's all days. Because that word, go and make disciples, literally means as you are going through your normal life. So engage and build relationships with people who don't know Jesus and talk to them about Jesus and the gospel so they come to know and trust Christ. You help them begin to grow in their faith and put their hope and life in Jesus so that they'll meet somebody who doesn't know Jesus and they'll share it. And this goes on and on and on. That's kind of the plan that he that he has. So that's for all Christians. It's for all of us, but there's a specific responsibility in this disciple-making calling that's given to Christian parents. If you look in verse 2 of Deuteronomy 6, he says, I want you to fear the Lord your God, you, your son, your son's sons, by keeping God's statutes and commandments. And then verse 7, you shall teach them diligent to your children. Verse 20, when your son asks you in time to come, what's the meaning of these statutes and statutes? You'll say to your son. And so, so here's that calling. Now, now here's the thing. If you're a Christian and a parent, you've got the calling to make disciples as you are going. And here's the deal. The first person you're going to meet as you're going, more than likely, is just a couple of doors down from your bedroom. They're in your house. You live with them on a regular basis. Your own children, created to know and love God by design, but yet they are sinners. We know this because we see it so, so early. You never have to teach a child to say they're sinners. Here's the evidence. No. <laughs> I was do this. No. Never had to teach a child to rebel against authority. Or, or we say, say, mine, that's mine. Never had to teach a child selfishness. It's our hearts. Our hearts are twisted. We want to control our own things. So our children live down the street from us, down the hall from us. They need a, a savior. They need a redeemer because our children are going to be alive somewhere a couple of hundred years from today. Either in heaven or in hell. It's a pretty serious thing. It's to start at home. So in our article of faith, article 13 on the family, here's what it says. Children from the moment of conception are a blessing from God, and parents bear the primary responsibility of training them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The primary responsibility to be the faith trainers of children falls to parents. Maybe guardians and others, but those that are, yes, to protect and provide. But listen, 
the most important thing about your child is their soul. It's not their education. It's not their athletics. It's not their opportunities. It's not making a positive contribution to society. The most important thing about your child is their soul and how they relate to God through Jesus Christ. Now listen, you're not responsible to save your children. Only God can do that. You're not even responsible to make them follow Him or love Him. Your call is this. Deuteronomy, uh, Ephesians 6 says this. Parents, bring your children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I love the way one guy put this. He said, do everything you can to put gospel kindling around your child's heart and then pray for the fire of God to fall and set it afire. So, so, see, church ministries can take a couple of approaches to the idea of the spiritual formation of the next generation. Some of them are program-centric. In other words, they're going to have a calendar that's filled with events and programming and teaching and activities. And the idea is, parents, you bring your children here and we'll do the training for you. We're your one-stop, one-stop stop for everything. So come here and we'll train them and we'll send them back with you and that's great. That's one approach. Another approach, though, is a parent-centric approach to spiritual formation, where we believe that you can, 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 that spiritual formation can and should be handled primarily by parents. We'll put the resources and materials in the hands of parents, and we'll equip and support and encourage and come along beside and cheerlead, and we'll have events and activities where those will always point back to the home. Now, here's what you need to know. Because of pattern we see in Deuteronomy 6 and throughout the scripture, at Living Hope, we have clearly chosen a parent-centric approach to passing the faith to the next generation. We find there's great, great joy in that, great power in the middle of that. But understand this, parents, you're not doing this alone. Here's where the rest of us come into this. Whereas a faith and we partner together to pass that faith on. There, there's a senior adult who faithfully shares the gospel and the truths of the Bible around the table with a few children every Sunday during Sunday school. Or there's another person who comes and they're, they're either rocking babies in our preschool ministry or they're giving those very basic truths about God is love and God cares for you to preschoolers. Or there's an empty nester who, who listens and gives perspective to that, to that young family trying to raise that child. This too shall pass. Or they begin to pray together with them. Or you're a single adult, and, and you, you're investing and pouring into some middle schoolers and, and high schoolers, and you love the gospel, and you love Jesus, and you'll continue speaking that same thing to them that their parents are speaking at that stage in life when we all go through it, when we don't think our parents are cool anymore, and they think you're cool, and they'll listen to you, and you keep saying the same thing about the gospel. Do you see that in all those ways, faith family, we together are partnering together to pass the faith to the next generation? It's a huge connection that is in the middle of all those things because we're family. So the first thing we do is we just make a commitment that we're about making disciples. That's the most important thing that our families can do. Now, how are we going to do that? Well, the Bible is so intensely practical. It says in verse 6, it says, These words you shall teach them, and I command you, shall be on your heart. Be on your heart. The second idea is this. Not only do we make disciples by the gospel, we model the faith of the gospel. 
When these truths, these values are on your heart, they, they capture your affections. Now, why is it important? Because here's the way discipling works or any kind of life change. What goes into the mind, grabs onto the heart, grows into a life. What goes into the mind, grabs onto the heart, grows into a life. So, so much of what we are is shaped by what we love. We eat because we love the things we're eating. We decorate our houses because we love the way that, that thing looks. So understand, disciple-making is not primarily about a content to master. It's a life to live. It's not just about what we know. It's about who we are. So here's the thing. Moms, dads, grandparents, those that have ongoing impact with children, disciple-making is not separate from you. The reality is you're already discipling them. Have you ever had that moment where, you're, where a child says something and you wonder yourself, I wonder where they got that? And then you realize, oh, they got that from me. They're saying it because I said it. You watch them, they fix their hamburger just a certain way because you created those taste buds in them. You show them how to create a hamburger that way, and they enjoy that. When you see them cheering, and they're either saying, go big blue or go big red or whatever color you cheer for, they probably learn that from you. I had some friends in Lexington. And, and they, they love Jesus, but the dad in the family is uh, as a native of Louisiana. So since his, and his family still lives there, so once a year or more, they made this pilgrim. His son's around there in their early 20s. And they've grown up going back to Louisiana. And they go back every year. And they go back and they go, they go wander around the swamps. And they, they go fishing in the swamps. And they, they go to New Orleans and hang out and eat food and all that sort of stuff. And they do that little by little. So much so that now his sons, who have always lived in Kentucky, now they, they, when they go back, they say, oh, we're going back to the homeland, going back to Louisiana. They cheer for LSU. They wear purple and gold, right? Because they've been discipled to grow up that way. Now, so you are discipling. The only question is, what are you discipling? your children to become. They will pick up your heart long before they hear your words. If you want your children to have a passion for Jesus, here's what I urge you to do, to do everything you can to stir your own affections and passion for Jesus. When you worship, you're really engaged in worship. And when you read God's Word, or you pray, or you're in relationships where you gather together with somebody who will encourage you or will hold you accountable. That's another reason we do this together, because that's what connect groups do. They help us begin to live out this faith, begin to live that out in that way. You can only pass on what you possess. You can only show them what the overflow of your own heart is. So show them a life consumed by Jesus. Show them what it means when you're anxious to pray, when you make decisions to seek God. When you're in conflict, you make peace by the gospel. You model that to them. In your relationships, if you're a single parent, you live chaste life. You live a life that is consumed by satisfaction and contentment in Jesus alone. If you're married, you live out the reality of a biblical marriage. So again, our faith describes this. It says this is what we believe about marriage. We believe that God has ordained marriage to be the union of one man and one woman in a lifelong covenant as they submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Husbands are called to love and lead their wives as Christ loved the church. Wives are called to respect and submit to their husbands as the church submits to Jesus. So you begin to live out just the reality, the faithful steadiness of a Christian marriage. Of what Josh McDowell says, worked with Jesus for years, and here's one of the things he says, the greatest platform for communicating the gospel in the future will simply be an intact family. A way that we begin to, to pour into their lives. Now listen to me. 
nobody say you've got to be perfect. That you have to be a spiritual giant or decide for your children. Because if you've got to be perfect, we're all in deep, deep trouble. Because all of us have stuff we've messed up on. All of us know that we've blown it. I look back on things I did with my son when he was younger, and I'm like, what was I thinking? How dumb was that? And I look back and I grieve over some of those things. I look and I see what in the world was I thinking in that moment? And, and God is so gracious to take even our, our stumblings and our failures and our brokenness and our lack and to use them together to make us who He wants us to be. So just love Jesus and follow Jesus and hold on to Jesus and be real, even in the hard stuff, even when you screw it up. Because listen, when you mess it up and you go to your children, you tell them, I think, I think mommy or daddy messed this up. I need to ask Jesus' forgiveness and ask me to ask your forgiveness. Even when you mess it up, you're pointing them to a Jesus who is faithful to forgive. You're pointing to a Jesus who is big enough to do all those things. So you train them out of our own real experience with Jesus. So we can say what Paul says. He says this. He says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So we're going to pass the gospel of faith. We're going to make a commitment to make disciples by the gospel. We're going to model the faith of the gospel. Thirdly, we're going to intentionally plan to disciple with the gospel. You see, this can't just be passive. We're not doing this kind of hoping it'll all kind of, kind of stuck in somewhere where they just kind of watch us. The slapping is intentional engagement. It's conversations. There's truths to pass on. There's applications to make. I love what Psalm 127 says. It says, like, arrows in the hand of the warrior are the children of one's youth. So if our children are arrows, when you shoot an arrow, you've got to have a target. Something you're pointing to. But we say with our race imagery, you got to stay in the lane that will lead you toward loving and following and knowing Jesus living him out. So here in Deuteronomy 6, what Moses does is he, he describes a regular training rhythm for families. There's three elements, and this is how we're doing our training through our next-gen ministries. Three elements, time, moments, and milestones. Time, moments, and milestones. I want you to walk through these. That none of these are, are adding events or programs or stuff to your family schedule. For the most part, this is leveraging your ordinary life and relationships for the sake of discipling our children, for introducing them, bringing them to see the reality of the gospel. So let's, let's look at these. The first one is time. Here's how we're defining time. That we build time into the family's rhythm for the purpose of thinking and talking about and then living out the gospel. Now, I've had lots of conversations with moms and has lots of conversations with families, and you ask them to describe their schedule, and consistently, here's how subscribe to me, we're crazy busy. We're crazy busy. So much like, it's good stuff. It's fun stuff. We're going all the time. We're cramming as much as we can get in. We're going all the time. Those kind of things. And the reality is that we will fill our calendars with that which we love, that which is most important to uh, so I just want to ask a question based on your family's schedule, on the things you talk about the most, the things you're getting ready for the most, you find yourself, you find yourself getting ready to do and you're going and doing and spending time in, the stuff that fills the little boxes on the counter that all of us have on our refrigerator. You look at your, the overall sense, what would your children say is the most important thing to your family above everything else? 
would they say it's the gospel? Would they say it's following Jesus? And I always say that to this. Listen, I want you to realize that the lane that we have to pass on the faith is so limited. It's a short amount of time. Listen, birth to 18 goes like that. Remember when our son was born, all these sweet little ladies at church came and said, oh, that's so wonderful. You said they're coming, it's so good. It's going to go so quick. And you say, no, I'm just trying to survive for tomorrow. Really? <laughs> you know, no, it's gonna, and they were so right. It goes like that. It's so quick. And here's what we know. Everything we're seeing now tells us that the heart disposition of our children toward matters of faith many times already settled by the age of 14. The time is very, very brief that we have. So we want to pray another prayer Moses prayed in Psalm 90. He said, teach the number of our days. You may gain a heart of wisdom. Paul came along and said, redeem or make the best use of the time. We've got a way to do this. So, so, so when we talk about last week about living God's will, we talked about this last week. God says, you've been bought with a price, so, so I, I'm going to lay first claim to your life. So love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, time, all your hours, all the blocks on your calendar. So underneath the priority of verse 5, love the Lord your God with everything, are some priority commitments. And this is one of them. That you made a commitment to be here to worship on Sunday morning and to have your children in our in our Sunday school and Bible study environments for preschoolers and children, middle schoolers and high schoolers. Make sure that they're there and they're a part of that. And make it a, a non-negotiable commitment of your family. Don't be going falling in this trap saying, oh, well, we'll try to make it. If we get there somewhere, we feel like it. Once a month, twice a month, go, look, no, you, I encourage you, make it a non-negotiable part of your schedule. Unless some really weird stuff's going on, we're going to be there. We're going to worship together. But, but here's where it begins to flip a little bit. What are you going to do on the way home? Because so many times we come, we experience it, and by the time we hit the parking lot, we've already forgotten everything that happened here. But on the way home, you got a ride. There's a car ride on the way home. You're going to go maybe grab a bite to eat. You have a chance to talk there and begin to use that time to talk about about the message. And begin to talk about what we sung and where we worship and gauge their heart. And begin to ask them, hey, what did you study this morning in Sunday school? And here, look, look, we know what they're going to say. We know. We can tell you. When you ask them, what did you study this morning in Sunday school? The Bible says, we know what they're going to say. Here's what they're going to say. Oh, no. Oh, remember. Okay, we got you. That's okay. Parents, you go online. All of our next gen ministries, preschool, children, middle school, high school, we have a, a sheet prepared for you. You can go and find it online and pull right on your phone. And it'll tell you, oh, this is a scripture they talk about today. This is a theme they talk about today. Here's four or five questions you can talk about. And you begin to kind of lead it. It makes you look so smart. <laughs> you can walk through the whole thing. You don't have to go to the lesson or study anything. You just kind of follow that along. That's the way to do that. Then maybe during the week, you find a few more times, once or twice a week, where as a family, you can you can have a family worship time or a family devotion time together. No, you don't have to have a PowerPoint prepared before you get there. You don't have to have printed outlines before you get there. You just open the Bible, read the Bible together, talk about what you see there about God and the gospel, how it applies to life. You pray a little bit, you sing a little bit, and you go on. 15 minutes. You can be a champ at this in 15 minutes. And again, we'll resource you. We'll help you. We'll point you in that way. But you're discipling time. It's going to have to be, be where when you feel like we've walked through a week, 
or two or three, that the sense is there's nothing more important to us than this life of faith. Then there are moments. Here's how we describe moments. Capturing opportunities in the course of everyday life for gospel conversations. This thing is not about um, sitting with some kind of folded hands in somewhere. I love verse 7. You shall teach them diligently to your children and talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. It's, it's a lot of movement there. So you might feel that when you ride in the car and when you're in the bleachers at the ball game and when you're at the Orthodox office, you can talk about these kind of things because most spiritual formation cannot be scheduled. It happens in moments. Oh, what Paul Tripp says. He says in his wisdom, God has crafted a life for us that does not careen from huge consequential moment to huge consequential moment. In fact, if you examine your life, you'll see that you actually have few of those moments, but you have a lot of are the significance of little moments. Little moments are significant because they are little moments. These are the moments that make up our lives. These are the moments that set up our future. These are the moments that shape our relationships. So you're grabbing an opportunity to talk about the things of the gospel. How can I, how can I do that? Teach sides of this. Prepare. This is where your own relationship with God begins to overflow. You spend some time in your time thinking about the character of God. God is good. God is wise. God is just. God is loving. God is kind. God is strong. God is sovereign. He's in charge of everything. Think about that. Or think about the gospel. God has the design. There's brokenness. The world's messed up. And Jesus came to redeem it. Think about that. Begin to look at that. And then, as you prepare to observe, observe your child. You know your child. You know the way they learn, the way they think, the way they operate. Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go. When he's old, he'll not depart from it. The way he should go there literally means the way he's bent, the way he or she is bent. So you know your child. You know how they listen to stuff and when they're more likely to. You know that child, if you speak to them before 8 a.m., they're going to forget everything you said. But you have a great conversation about 9.30 that night, and they're right there with you. You know how your child learns, visually or other ways. You observe your child, and then just observe your circumstances. What are we walking through? Good stuff, bad stuff, amazing stuff? You're walking through that lighting storm that we had the other night. You can take that and turn it, flip it, talk about the greatness of the power of God. You watch their, their emotions, their, their anger or their hurt or their, their struggles, their anxiety. You watch current events. Jesus did that. He looked at current events and then talked about it. We had this shooting a few weeks ago. It was a horrible thing. Everybody's talking about that. You take that and turn about the things of the gospel. Do, do any of you have siblings who argue? Jesus had two brothers that got in an argument. He took that moment of an argument and began to flip it to talk about the gospel. You can take anything, any place. Just finding that intersection of where your child is. Maybe brief, only be a couple of minutes. May open the door to a longer conversation. But time, moments, and last one is milestones. Here's how we describe milestones. Marking and making occasions to celebrate significant spiritual milestones of God's work in the life of your family or Child. You read the rest of that chapter and you find, he said, I want you to plan ways to remember how God has met you. So when your son asks you, you can tell him what has happened. Now, here's what happens to us time and experiences tend to blur by. We stack them together. We can tend to forget. So we want to be intentional about identifying progress on the journey. So our family discipleship ministry, we've identified nine specific milestones we want to help you with. 
the birth of a child, preparing for adolescence, becoming a worshiping family, a commitment to purity, trying to lead your child to Christ, passionate adulthood, raising a servant-hearted child, covenant church membership, hospital graduation, a lost to independence. Now, for each of those, there's a specific event, something to mark that with, either at home or at the church. Some of those mark this something we, we want to remember what God did here. We, we don't want to forget. So, we, you know, we do our birthdays. We have family dedication. We mark that. There's promises that are there. When a child comes to trust Christ, there's baptism. We, we lock into that. Moving into adulthood, it's going to happen when they get there. And so we're we're kind of learning and, and warning with them. Be like, we kind of want to have a Baptist bar mitzvah. <laughs> when a child turns thirteen, want to help them. This is what it's going to mean to move into your life as an adult. And here's how we're going to come alongside you to begin to own your own faith. Others are there to to make a certain character trait. So we want to raise servant-hearted children, not selfish children. Trait about generosity or about purity in a world that's so awash with so many different things. Parents, you, you can do this. You can begin just to walk through this journey of life with a God word eye. And you can be individualized in that. And listen, our next gen ministry stand ready to help you. We're going to resource you with this. Twice a year, we're going to have what we call a parent summit. Our next one's in September. And we're going to spend, spend a, just actually give a few hours on a Saturday. And we're going to train you how to think about each one of those milestones, how to begin to make that work in your family's life and help your children see the big work of God. Time, moments, and milestones. We're called to make disciples. We're going to model the faith. And we're going to live that out in a practical way. So, so parents, yeah, you're called to pass that, that baton of faith. Somebody's remind me, Michael reminded me a minute ago that when, when that baton is passed, there's two or three steps there where they're both holding it, they're running together, and then, then you let it go, and then move on and run with that. You look at that, and, and, and God's placed a soul in your care. And that's wondrous, and it's terrifying, and it's joyful, and it's overwhelming. So, Mom, then I want you to know, you can do this, but you need Jesus. You really need Him to help you with this. He's bigger than your frailties. He's more powerful than your weaknesses. He'll come along. He'll help you. But so will we. We as a faith family, we will come and work with you. All of our next gen ministries and all of us as a faith family. Because we're all a part of this. So I want to end together this morning by affirming that again. So would you stand with me, please? And I want to read this scripture, which is a, a declaration of our faith about passing the faith to the next generation. Get that in your mind. And let's read this good and strong out loud together. I will extol you, my God and King. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works. I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness, and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. We will not hide. But tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders that He has done. 
He established a testimony and appointed a law which He commanded to our fathers to teach to their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God. Let's pray again. So, Lord, this is our calling as your people to pass the baton of faith to the next generation. Yes, to the children who are related to us biologically, but also as a faith family to all those of the coming generations. To pass that baton, we want to see a new generation arise that's passionate, to put their hope in God and living for the reality of Jesus because it's an eternal reality. So in these moments, Lord, would you help us we heard your word this morning? Encourage maybe moms and dads to come and kneel and pray and say, Lord, help us. We need you. Maybe bring your children with them. Our grandparents, our guardians, our spiritual teachers, or workers, Lord, would you help us pray and cry out to you? Lord, there may be others here this morning who need to respond to you in some other way that you've been dealing in their heart. Help us in these moments, Lord, to respond to the prompting of your Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You come together and pray as we worship.